There's just not many places in the world where you can go and say, you're depraved and you're a wretch and you're hell deserving and everybody smile and get happy. There's just not many places like that. Praise God that we have been saved from such a condition. I'm rejoicing in the message, Brother Luke. And I pray the Lord will continue to direct your mind to where it's going because it's certainly something to rejoice in. I praise God for it. For the remaining time, if you would turn to 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter. 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter. As we continue in this Life of David series, I want to talk to you today about the testimony of a tested man. The testimony of a tested man. And let's read the first few verses of chapter 30 and I'll give you some context of what is going on. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag and smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way, which by the way was very unusual. So David and his men came to the city and behold, it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself and the Lord his God. This is perhaps, I think without a doubt, the greatest test of David's life up to this point. You say, well, what about Goliath? And what about some of these other things? This is the greatest test. And this was one of those moments where everything just kind of comes home to David. It's a moment for him to reflect on where he is, how he got there, and what in the world is he going to do about the situation that he's in. This is what you would call an epoch moment. Not epic, not epic, but epoch. That means the turning of an age or the end of an age or summarizing and comprehending everything that has gone before. David is having an epic moment. You know, an epic moment is something that's amazing and maybe a victorious moment, you know, where you, you can't ever forget that moment. But this is an epic moment for David. And he demonstrates the testimony of a tested man. Verse 6, where it says that he encouraged himself in the Lord. That word encouraged means to seize upon, to seize violently upon. He seized upon the Lord in this moment. But how did he come to this? If you recall, the last time I spoke to you about what's going on in the life of David, we were a couple chapters before, chapter 27, just a couple pages back. And this is where David said in his heart, he said in his heart, within himself, David said, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. And if you go on and read about David deciding within his heart, he followed his heart. Are y'all hearing me? He made the huge mistake of following his heart. Like all the Disney movies say, you know, follow your heart, find your true love and true love's kiss and all this stuff. 
You know, nothing wrong with some of those things, but the way to get there is not by following your heart. And David follows his heart. And he winds up in the biggest mess that he has been in since he began this outlaw journey. And it's notable that as he goes down in, in chapter 27, after he's already had Saul in his hands one more time and spared Saul at the hill of Hakilah, the previous chapter, chapter 26, David decides within his heart to go on down into the Philistines' land again. And you recall it didn't work out too well for him the first time he went down there. And you may also recall that Gad, the prophet, told David to go back into the land of Judah and stay there. Maybe David is just finally thinking, well, there's just, I've, I've escaped too many times. You know, it's about 19 times now. That doesn't mean God couldn't deliver him 20. And so David decides to go down into the land of the Philistines. He follows his heart. And it's very notable if you look in chapter 27 and verse 7, you know, the Bible gives you these little nuggets so you can kind of keep the time frames in perspective. I told you last week that about 10 years has passed, maybe 11 years since David went on the run. And David is approaching the age of 30 now. And, you know, drama and trouble and trials has been the way of his life since he's been on the run from Saul. But in verse 7, notice of chapter 27, it says the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. Now, what you say, what's the significance of that? There's only a year and four months left until God delivers the physical throne into David's hands. And you think, well, he's been on the run for 10 plus years, but only a year and four months are left. David doesn't know that, and he loses his nerve. You know, he could have just waited another year and four months, and right there in the land of Judah, and he wouldn't have gone through all the trouble that he's been through or goes through in the land of the Philistines. So in, in brief summary, this is what David goes through, and it sounds like something on you know, one, of these, one of these reality shows where there's nothing but drama. David goes down to the land of the Philistines. David becomes the chief of the bodyguards of the king of the Philistines. Does that blow your mind? Is that not a twist? David lines up to go to war against the nation of Israel with the Philistines. That's even a bigger mind blower than David being the chief of the security guard of the king of the Philistines. And in a strange, ironic twist of providence, another deliverance of God, the Philistine leaders send David away. They said, we don't want this guy going in to fight with us against his own people. He may turn on us while we get in the war. And there's David. You know, David is thinking, I have no idea how I'm going to get out of this. And God delivers him again. And so we catch up with David in chapter 30 where the Philistines have sent him home. You cannot go to war against Israel with us. Praise God. And when David gets back to the little town that he was living in in the Philistines' land, that's when he finds the Amalekites have come, taken their wives, taken their children, taken their stuff, their cattle, taken everything, and demolished that city. This is bad. Don't ever forget this, child of God. Young and old, I hope that you're listening. It's all because David followed his heart. David followed his heart. The indications of his emotions got the best of him and he followed his heart. Now what about that? Chapter 27. Now we know that it's a year and four months and David is going to take the physical throne. Saul's going to be out of the picture as God had promised many years before. David said in his heart within himself, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. Is that true? 
David decided in his heart that he would perish one day by the hand of Saul. That goes against everything that God has told him, right? God said, you are the anointed king and you will take the throne one day. But David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. He's following his heart. So what David's heart is leading him to conclude is the opposite of reality. Are y'all listening to me? Does this not play into 98% of the stuff that you see out there today where people's hearts are concluding within their own minds and hearts? Well, you know, take any subject, take anything you want. Take the, the gender dysphoria. I have concluded in my heart and my mind that I'm actually, uh, you know, a, a male is actually a female. A female is actually a male. I mean, that's an extreme situation, but it's an example of following your heart. It doesn't follow biology. It doesn't follow common sense. And, and extrapolate that into anything else. People follow their heart and it leads to trouble. Follow the Word of God. See, David knew the Word of God, but he's following his heart. He concludes falsely, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. And he says, concludes falsely, there is nothing better for me than that I should escape speedily into the land of the Philistines. False. He's following his heart. How many times have we all done this? I'm not up here pointing the finger at you. Uh, you know, I'm talking about me. How many times have we followed our heart and it's gotten us into trouble? Big trouble. You can't get any worse than what David is going through here. What's wrong with my heart? You have heard a wonderful introduction and explanation of what's wrong with mankind's heart from Brother Luke here this morning as he has talked about the depravity of man. What's wrong with my heart? Your heart is separated from God and its nature. And guess what? Even now, in your born-again state that you're in, with the Spirit inside you, dwelling in you, it's like your heart is divided. It is exactly that way. And you've got the old human nature that says, do this, follow your heart, listen to your emotions, you know, let that rule the day, make your own conclusions. And God over here has the truth with Him, He has the reality with Him, and the Spirit is in there. Which one are we listening to? See, that is the trick for the child of God. How many blessings did David miss because he went down into the land of the Philistines? How many chapters weren't written here because David chose the possibility of going against the preacher, going against Gad the prophet, and going down into the land of the Philistines when he should have stayed in Judah? How many psalms could we have heard that were extra to the hundreds, over a hundred that are there now in the book of Psalms if David had just stayed put? And maybe stayed in the cave again. Got praise from a cave once more. But he chose to go somewhere he should not have gone. Can I emphasize that enough today, brothers and sisters? Any of us could wind up in a situation like that if we follow our heart. But I'm going to tell you what, at the same time, as many bad decisions as we've all made and followed our heart, God is merciful. God is so good to us. His mercy endureth forever. His mercy will never leave you. And He's so good to us. So what's wrong with my heart? Jeremiah the 17th chapter and the 9th verse says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. You ever seen somebody that was desperate? You know, when I think about somebody who's desperate, you know, somebody who's escaped out of prison and they're on the run, you know, they're desperately running from the law. Your heart is desperately running from God. It does not want to have anything to do with God and its nature. You say, yeah, that's the way I was before I was born again. That's the way you are now. You've still got that heart inside you. It's divided. And your heart is desperate to go away from God. And it's deceitful. But the Lord says, I know the heart. 
You want to have somebody to diagnose your heart? Go to the Lord. You know, in the book of Proverbs, it was interesting to me. This would be a good study for you, especially if you're trying to discover your identity, who you are, what your purpose is. In the book of Proverbs, there's only two chapters in the book of Proverbs that doesn't mention the heart. And I'm not going to tell you which ones they are, so you'll go find out for yourself. Only two chapters in Proverbs that doesn't mention the heart. I think that's important. You want to know what your heart is, what the direction of your heart should be. You want to know what to do with your heart, with your life. Look to the book of Proverbs. You need some help getting started. I'll be happy to. Brother Luke will be happy to help you. Everything you need to know about your life, whatever age you are, is in the Word of God. David left the Word of God to go follow his own path. What's wrong with my heart? What's wrong with following your heart? You know, that's what happened in the book of Genesis, the sixth chapter. It says the imagination of the hearts of men was only evil continually. That didn't work out too well, did it? God sent a global flood and wiped out man. What about Pharaoh in the book of Exodus? Best I can tell, at least nine times, wicked Pharaoh followed his heart. Didn't work out too well for him, did it? And I'm telling you, child of God, it's not going to work out well for you if you follow your heart. Let the Lord discover the issues of your heart to you and then direct you. It's interesting. Elder David Crawford, my good friend, was sharing with me recently that when his son, John Anthony, you know, who's about to get his Ph.D. in microbiology, he was on a fast track through the University of Florida, got through with what he needed there in about four years, was able to skip the next step, actually, and go on to get his Ph.D. That's what he's doing now. It's over in Jackson, Mississippi. And Brother David said that when it came time for John Anthony to apply for where to go to, for this type of school, he actually, I, I actually walked him around UAB and was praying to the good Lord that he had come there so we could see him more. But anyway, Brother David said John Anthony came out there on the table in their kitchen and laid out a map of the United States. Put out a map, you know, a fold-out map. Some of y'all don't even know what that is, a fold-out map. Laid it out there on the table, and Brother David was thinking, hey, we're just going to go on a trip. We're going to take a road trip. This will be fun. And he said, Dad, I want you to circle on this map of the United States where there are healthy, thriving, primitive Baptist churches. And that's how he made his decision on where to go for Ph.D. I think he sought the Lord. I don't think he followed his heart. You follow your heart, you're going to wind up in the land of the Philistines and Drama, tragedy, confusion, and forsaken in many ways from a natural standpoint. David's heart told him to go into the land of the Philistines. And so here we are with David in 1 Samuel 30 after we've covered in like one, less than one minute, covered the summary of what has happened to David. He's almost gone to war against his own nation. And when he goes back to, where, to, he, to find his family and the 600 men that are with him, their families, they've been taken prisoner. And the, t- the city has been wiped out. And so here is David's epic moment. Here's the testimony of a tested man. You ever had those type of epic moments where you just came to yourself reflective, insightful? Here David has gone to war against God's will. He's almost gone to war against God's people. And now he's lost his family. And his own men want to kill him. I'm sure some of those men were saying, I know some of those men were saying, why did he ever bring us down here? Why did he ever take us to the land of the Philistines? I knew it wasn't right because he said God had promised. And the prophet Gad, I heard Gad say, stay in Judah. Now these men want to kill him. 
His own men have forsaken Him. But isn't it good to know that the mercy of God is there? Maybe you've been in situations like that where you've been forsaken. The drama and the bad decisions of life and the tragedies have just turned everybody against you. But I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is still inside you. And the Spirit of God was still inside David. And David encouraged. He seized upon the Lord in that moment. When you go against the will of God, and when you follow your heart, you're on a collision course to have one of these moments. You're on a collision course with the grace of God. I see a lot of people say, well, you're on a collision course with the judgment of God. That's true in a sense, but our God is a merciful God. You see, you're on a collision course. If you humble yourself, you're on a collision course with the mercy of God. And these type of moments that freeze us, it almost makes us passively have to look at the grace of God. Now, here I am backed into a corner. Here I am with no place to turn. You know, that's learning by the hard knocks of life. David is learning that way right now. That's a tough way to learn. You don't have to learn that way, child of God. But if you follow your heart, you will learn that way. You will. It's time to reflect. The testimony of a tested man. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He seized upon Jehovah. It says, the Lord his God. Jehovah his Elohim. And David looks back. And you know, child of grace, we should stop at critical moments in our life, whether we're in the situation similar to David where we have no place to turn or whether we are on the mountaintop. You will see, if we continue in this Life of David series, down the road that there are mountaintop moments where David does the same thing. He reflects on the goodness of God and the mercy of God. It's a lot better to reflect in those moments and have one of these epic experiences in those moments rather than to... Go to the school of hard knocks because you followed your heart. These things happen. David speaks of reflection like he does in this moment at other times. First Chronicles, the 14th chapter, when God speaks to David of his house, David has taken the throne. It says that David knew. David had one of those times of reflecting when God spoke of his house. Continuing for many years to come. 2 Samuel, the 7th chapter, God spoke of His house. And that's where David uttered those beautiful lines that we love to sing the hymn, Who am I? Lord, what is my house that Thou hast brought me hitherto? It's because God was speaking of the future of David. Now those are times when David was on the mountaintop that he had those moments where he said, Who am I? I think it's very important to understand in this moment that David is in and in those moments when David, when God speaks to David of his house, Y'all understand that there's, there's two aspects to a house, right? In terms of what he's talking about there. And in terms of your houses, you know, I love to go and tour the Biltmore. Y'all seen that place? Some of y'all have been there. It's very expensive to tour that place. Matter of fact, I went up there with all, however many of us one time, and I went up to the counter and I thought, it's that expensive? Let's go find something else to do. <laughs> Unbelievable how expensive it is. Have you ever toured that house? It's amazing. That's a big house. And I am more fascinated with the history of the inhabitants of that house because where are they? That's an amazing house that was built to the testimony of some great people. But where are they today? You see, there's two aspects to a house, two aspects to what God speaks of, two aspects to your houses. There's the brick and mortar of where you inhabit. And then there are the inhabitants of that house. Y'all hear me? I love my house. I love the brick and mortar of my house. But if it came down to me having to put a match to that house and choosing between the brick and mortar and the inhabitants of that house, I'll burn it any day. I'll lose every penny 
I've ever put into it because that is not my primary concern. And when David has these moments of reflection and he's thinking about the future of his house and what God has told him about his house and down here in the land of the Philistines, he's thinking in his mind, do I have any future for my house? Because my men want to stone me now. Not only has everyone turned against me, but my own men want to kill me. What is the future of my house? David reflects not on the brick and mortar, because by the way, he didn't have a brick and mortar house at that point. He reflects on the inhabitants. And he didn't have any children at that point. What's important to us? The brick and mortar or the real house that is the house within the house, the people within the house? What do you think that David seized upon in those moments? It says that he encouraged himself in the Lord. Nobody else was there to encourage him. You ever been in those moments where there was nobody there? You know, there's people that we all reach out to for encouragement. But what if that person can't? Maybe I'm that person for you. You say, I just need to talk to Brother Tim and it's encouraging. But what if my voice is stilled? What if my heart ceases to beat? What if I'm not a, what if I don't have cell phone coverage? Let's be a little less dramatic. <laughs> what if I don't have cell phone coverage and you can't reach me? I tell you, child of grace, David didn't have a cell phone. David didn't have his father or mother to call over in the land of Moab with cell phone service. I'm telling you, David had a place to call that was far away and yet so near. It was right in his heart. The Spirit of God was in his heart. And so he strengthened the Lord within himself. The Lord, he started listening to the Lord part of him rather than the natural heart part of him, you see? And it's been like a year that he's been doing this, living this life down here in the land of the Philistines. And in this most difficult moment, what do you think that he seized on? As he says that he encouraged himself in the Lord. You think in those moments as his mind, you know, you know this is the moment where your life flashes before your eyes. Y'all ever had those moments? Now, sometimes that's in terms of, I think I'm fixing to die. But then sometimes you can just have those moments when you just reflect on your life. And some of you are sitting there saying, well, I'm five and I ain't had much life to reflect on yet. <laughs> Talk to your parents. They've got five years worth, seven years worth, ten years worth to help you reflect, okay? But David reflects. His life flashes before his eyes. Can you imagine that he thought back to a 12-year-old boy out there keeping the sheep and a lion comes along? How in the world is he going to be able to take that sheep back from that lion? Another time David is there and he reflects and thinks about the time that the bear came along and, and, and growled and took a sheep out of the flock. How in the world is a 12-year-old boy going to be able to regain that little sheep from the mouth of a big, hairy, furry, nasty bear? You think David seized upon a 17 or 18-year-old walking out upon the battlefield facing a giant? And everybody says he's dead. He's dead. You think David seized upon the number of times that he dodged the javelin, the spear of Saul, as Saul in his rage threw it at David to try to kill him? And he was just a hair's breadth away from being killed. And yet the promises of God rolling around in the back of his head. My anointed. You think David reflected back upon the foolish time that he chose to go down to Gath and scrabbled on the doors and spittle rolled down his beard and they were ready to kill him? And in that moment, he saw the anointing of God. He saw Christ. He saw the angel of His presence. 
You think David reflected back on those times when he was in the cave there of Adullam and he began to issue praise in writing those psalms and preaching to those 600, 400 men that were there. You think David reflected on those times in Injadi whenever he was there and Saul came and slept in the cave and the Lord delivered him into his hand, but David would not touch the anointing of God. You think David reflected on the hill of Hakilah when he slipped in there amongst all those 3,000 men as they were slumbering and the, the Lord had caused a deep sleep to fall upon them and David took the very spear, no doubt, that Saul had taken up to try to kill David with and he took the cruise of water and he went back out and he said, I had you again. You think these are things that David seized upon? But child of grace, I want you to understand something. Those are amazing things, are they not? What a resume, right? What a resume. Would you hire that guy? Yes, I would. Even if I don't have a position for him, I'm going to hire that guy. But I'm telling you that in the moments when David thought back to the lion, to the bear, to the giant, to the spear, to the cave, to the cruise of water and the spear that he took from Saul, all of those times, I'm going to tell you, there is not one thought in David's mind of, look at me. He's thinking back, Lord, you delivered me. There's no way a 12-year-old boy could fight off a lion. There's no way a 12-year-old boy could fight off a bear. There's no way an 18 or 17-year-old boy could fight a 14-foot-tall giant. There's no way that a pebble, a rock, could bring down such a source of, of wickedness like Goliath. There's no way that David could avoid the spear of that javelin because Saul was a man of war, you see. He knew how to throw that javelin. There's no way that David would have the opportunities that God has given him and delivered him again and again and again. There's no way if it were not for the grace of God. You see, David is having an epic moment here. It's the testimony of a tested man. He's been tested again and again and again. And every time he's been tested, the Lord has delivered him. And this right here that he's going through is of his own doing from following his own heart. Listen to me. You know, there is a difference between thinking that the Lord is along for your ride. There's a difference in thinking the Lord is along for your ride and thinking and believing that I am just along for the ride with the Lord. Are y'all hearing me? There's a difference in dismissing God as just something that's there and available for me whenever I need Him or whenever I get into a pinch or whenever things don't go my way. There's a huge difference in thinking about God in that way and just thinking that you are just a grain of sand on the seashore of God's seashore and you're just a little minnow swimming around in the vast ocean of God's depth. That's what David is doing. See, he's been thinking he was a big fish swimming around, and now he's back to that little minnow size floating around in the ocean. David is having this moment in which he believes that God has delivered him and will deliver him now. David begins to reflect on the deeper meaning of the deliverances of God. No doubt that the future psalm was maybe already germinating inside him of who am I and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? He's the least little nobody in his own house, the eighth son. And here he is down in the land of the Philistines in a terrible situation, about to be stoned by his own men. And he has this moment. And you know what his moment says? David inquired at the Lord. Are y'all hearing me? David inquired of the Lord. His testimony, what did it lead him to? To inquire of the Lord. It's very similar to what happened to the prodigal who was down there feeding the pigs in the pig pen. It says he came to himself. That man inquired of the Lord. He finally got over himself and realized that God was not just along for his ride, but he was along the ride with God. It's God's ride. 
It's God's world. It's God's will. It's God's purpose. It's God's salvation. It's God's design for your life. Don't follow your heart. The testimony of a tested man. I tell you, child of grace, I've lived this. I know that y'all get tired of hearing my old silly stories. But many years ago, when I decided that I was going to be somebody, and I moved to Nashville, and I got up there with my beautiful new bride, and the world was mine, you know, everything, anything I wanted was at my fingertips, and I could have whatever I wanted. That's what I had decided, because everybody else was just along for my ride. And I remember sitting down on a Sunday morning after we'd moved into our little bungalow and everything was just perfect and I had the connections and I had the job coming and I, all these things were just right because I had designed them that way. And I thought to myself, where am I going to go to church? I didn't get the map out. I didn't get it out. Where am I going to go to church? Sister Tracy and I had a little discussion back and forth on that. I said, I'm not going to go to a church where the truth is not preached and I don't even know if there's a church up here. I had gone off into the land of the Philistines and not even checked to see what the Lord would have me to do because I thought the Lord was just along for my ride. Praise be to God. You know, it all came back to Bethlehem. You know that, right? It all came back to Bethlehem. I checked here, I checked there, couldn't find any place, didn't know this, didn't know that, this didn't sound right, this is what, what I was looking for. And so I finally had the presence of mind to contact the preacher who was still here at Bethlehem all those years ago. And I asked that brother, I said, do you know of any primitive Baptist churches that I might could go to up there in Nashville? And the old brother said, oh, sure, go to Bethel. That's a primitive Baptist church. When I finally inquired of the Lord, my whole life changed. That was an epoch moment for me. Have you had your epoch moment? Have you come to the end of yourself at the pig pen? Or have you come to the end of yourself in the land of the Philistines? Have you looked up and said, Lord, I followed my heart all this time. God, forgive me. I need to repent. Lord, what would you have me to do? It's exactly what happened to David. And child of grace, God's mercy, doesn't matter where you've been, no matter what brokenness you've been dealing with or living in, the mercy of God overrules and overcomes that brokenness. And you can ask, and He will show you.